Amen. I want us to keep in mind the last two sermons as we we go into this sermon. I want you to keep in mind that prodigal son, but I also want you to keep in mind that pharisaical son because there's both in the congregation. Some of us ran down into the pits and some of us looked down at scorn even as sinners return. So I want you to think about those both. But what both of them needed was what we just sang. They both needed a revival in their hearts. Some might not think that they need such a revival, such as the pharisaical son, because he believed that he was good enough in and of himself. But we know that he needed it just as much as the one who was down in the pig pen. But when either one has their eyes opened, When God awakens those that sleep, we realize, sadly, that we have lost much valuable time. So our title today is Reclaim Your Time. Reclaim that time that you once lost. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 14 through probably verse 16. We'll see how that goes. But each one of us has had our own struggles. Each one of us has had our own battles. I told you all of some of mine last night. And this is a very raw, real sermon for me that I have had to, within the past year, live out. So I'm preaching to you from much experience and a lot of remorse in this. Uh, Don't be surprised if you hear me start confessing from the stand. I happen to do that quite a bit. uh, Because the truth is, we all need it. We all need to hear it. But I want you to think about the times in your life that you may have wasted. Times in the past. Could have been a period of times. Could have been four or five years. Could have been a decade. Could have been most of your life. It could have just been a few months. What about that one interaction you had with a non-believer? Did you waste that time? What about that one opportunity to share the gospel with your own children, but you responded with frustration or anger? There's time that we all wish we could take back, but the hard reality is you can't take that past time back. What you can do is take hold of your time that is to come. You can reclaim what Satan was stealing from you. You can take back your time and your life from the grips of darkness, from the darts of Satan. So let's look in verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 5, where he says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So let me ask you this question, and I want you to think about it throughout this sermon. What is it that you hunger for in your life? Is it that healing and grace that our hearts hunger for? Is Jesus really all you wish or want as we sung a while ago? Is He the treasure that you desire? Well, your time and your priorities with your time are going to reflect what your heart truly hungers for. If you're not sure what you're actually hungering for, just look to see what you're spending your time on. Because that's where your hunger is. What do you do when your stomach growls? You want food. The first thing you're going to do is go appease your hunger. Is your stomach growling for God? Is your spiritual stomach growling for the food that God only can provide? Are you hungering for Him? Is He captivating your thoughts? Is He captivating your time? Verse 15 says, see that you walk circumspectly. That word means carefully. See that you walk carefully. 
Not as a fool, but as wise. There can be two types of fools. One fool can say there is no God. The other type of fool can be right here in the church. Seeing what kind of gain they could get from the church, as Paul had to address many times in the New Testament. That there were preachers who were only there for their gain. That there were maybe wealthy in the church or anybody in the church that was there to see what the church could do for them. What they could gain from the church. The status that they could gain. That's what the Pharisees were all about. Their status in front of everyone. But this says to walk carefully, not as a fool, but as a wise man. So we need to see first that we're to be walking. What did that prodigal have to do when he was awakened? He had to get up and walk up those steps. He had to get up and do it. God didn't go down. His father didn't go down and drag him back up the steps. God awakens you. He brings you to a spiritual life from a spiritual death. He opens blind eyes, but God does not come down and grab you and drag you along. He wakens you and then he gives you the instructions to follow him. Part of my testimony last night where I said you have to follow hard after God. God is not dragging you along. You have to run after God because that is your desire. He is what you want. When that prodigal awoken to see where he was and where he could be with his father, his heart's desire was no longer to live in the foreign land. His heart's desire was to go back to his father. I will arise and return. God calls you, church, to arise and return. Whether he is first opening your eyes from a state of spiritual darkness, or if you have backslidden, or if you have been like me and you've gone off track, you've slipped down some steps, he says, arise and return. Walk carefully, but you must walk. This is an active life. The Christian lifestyle is not passive. We're not sitting and waiting for the Lord to return. We're walking and working until He returns. That's what we are called to do. The actions, this is an action verse where it says to walk. It's to live. It means to make one's way to progress. Are you progressing in your spiritual walk? When you have seen where you were and where you should be, are you going towards it or are you sitting in regret? We're all going to have regrets. Don't think that you're alone there. We all have regrets. We all have wasted time. Get up and get moving. Start walking. Start progressing towards the calling that He has called you for. Make good use of your opportunities. How many times have we wasted those opportunities? What about... On the airplane, I fly a lot for work. I'm on a lot of airplanes. You know what I typically do? Put my music on. I'll get my Bible out, so that's good. I work on sermons a lot while I'm traveling. But there's always somebody sitting right next to me. How often have I used that time to say, do you want to know what I'm reading? Shamefully, I don't do it enough. How many times have you been at school? Someone says a question that piques your interest about God. Have you been willing to go talk to them about God? What about at work? Sometimes we get scared to talk about God at work in the corporate world. You're given opportunities. That may be your mission field. Don't fear it. Be careful, but don't fear it. What about the grocery store? We're always by somebody at the grocery store. A simple God bless you may pique somebody's interest. Don't waste the opportunities. What about you mothers that may stay at home? I don't have those opportunities. You have a house full of opportunities with your children. A house full of opportunities. Every moment is a teaching moment. Fathers, when you get home from work, don't say, I hope my wife took care of the children's spiritual walk today. You have an opportunity with your own children. That's one of my regrets. You'll hear about it here in a little bit. Where I dropped the ball big time with my own children. I didn't take the opportunity 
to let them walk with me to God. Because one thing you need to know on this journey is you are not alone. You are walking with a band of brothers and sisters towards one prize, towards one calling, and you're walking together. Don't think that you're Isaiah out there alone. Lord, take me now. I'm it. I'm the only one. He says, get up. There are 7,000 more out there who will not bow their knee. Get up. You're not alone. You're not alone. Now, we may have all had different struggles, but they're still struggles. We may have all fallen down different pathways, but I tell you, they were all the wrong pathway. You're not alone in this walk. But see that you're walking. That means make sure. You have to make yourself walk. Brother Titus can't make you get up and start walking. Brother Brady, Brother Marvin, they can't make you get up and start walking. You have to walk. You see that you walk. What did he just say? Arise, thou that sleepest. Walk carefully. But we're not doing this blindly. And that is the greatest comfort that I can take. If God said, Titus, I want you to rise up and figure this path out. Good, great. I'd be back down in the pig pen. Like that, we all would. But he says in Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now that lamp and that light are two different words. The lamp to my feet. I want you to picture you just got a flashlight. And it's walking in front of your feet. That lamp is there to guide you along that pathway. And sometimes you might get to the very edge of that step before that lamp shines down on it. But that lamp is warning you, you are about to fall. But that light is like the brightness of day. And God is sometimes showing us with full openness the path for us to take. But whether it's that flashlight or whether it's the bright light of the sun, it's this word of God that is your guide on this walk. Walk carefully, not through your own wisdom, not through your own life's experiences. That will just take you down the wrong path again. But walk through the word. It is your lamp. It is your light. Walk carefully, circumspectly. That means to watch, to walk cautiously with a watchfulness in every way. Watch for that step. Watch for the pitfalls. Watch for the snares. Give attention to guarding your mind. Don't just get up and say, I think the Lord has got this today. Because God has given you the tools so that you may walk carefully. You need to guard your mind from the moment that you awake. You need to have a watchful, guarded mind. And how will I walk today? I love it that the room that we're staying in at the Hunt's house, the bathroom mirror has Bible verses posted all up and down that mirror. What a way to start your day. You get up, you're tired, you're stumbling to the bathroom, and you look, and there is God's Word posted for you to see. Amen. Whatever method you have to do, to guard your mind from the moment you get up, that's what you do. What I do is something I learned from my sister Rhoda. Before I even put my feet on the floor, when my eyes open, I say, thank you, Lord, for this day. Guard me, Lord, in this day. It doesn't have to be complicated. It can be a simple prayer. But you start your day by guarding your mind. Because if you don't start your day guarded, at what point during your day do you decide to start guarding yourself? At what point in the day do you decide, oh, I better go put that armor on. I just got hit by a dart. Well, it's too late. You've been hit. You're wounded. You start your day guarded. Guarded. You're carefully moving through this life. I tell you, there are traps everywhere. There's traps even in the churches. There's traps at home. There's snares at home. There's pitfalls at home. There's snares in the world. Everywhere we go, there are traps. So we're carefully moving through this life with a guarded mind because we are watching for something. In verse 16, it says, redeeming the time because what? The days are evil. 
evil. Not a so-so day. Not a dreary day. They are evil. There is a dark power out there. You know, he doesn't want the world. Do you know why? He already has them. You know who he wants? You. The people sitting right here today. The people who are sitting in the church. That's who he wants. The people that know they should be in church. That's the ones he's attacking. He's got the world at his fingertips. They love him. But when you are awakened, when God says, Awake thou that sleepest, walk flippantly, walk enjoyably, walk carefully, because there is a dark power that is looking for you to trip you up in your walk. Now, does this seem daunting to walk on this? It does. It seems very daunting until you go to Colossians chapter 2. Just thinking, oh, Lord, how am I supposed to do this? I've already messed up over and over and over. How in the world am I supposed to watch carefully? I keep messing up. But he takes us to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. And he says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. The very same power of the Holy Spirit that awakens you from the dead is the very same power that you walk in. You are not walking alone. You're not walking in your own might. You're not walking in your own wisdom. You're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit that brought you from a state of death. That is a power that we cannot comprehend. And that is the power that walks with you. So take encouragement Don't be discouraged. Don't fear this walk. Go boldly in this walk because you are walking with the Spirit of God in you. What happened at the ascending of our Savior? He says, I will send one to you. I need that comforter. I need him and he is with you today because when he opens your eyes, That spirit indwells in you. You are now his temple and he dwells within you and he walks with you. So don't be scared. Yes, it can seem daunting on your own and it should be if you're on your own. But when you are in the power of the Holy Spirit, walk in a firm assurance. Walk in a strong assurance that God Almighty is with you. And he will continue to guide you and lead you, but you must walk. What does God hate? What does He spew from His mouth? The lukewarm Christian is like vomit to God. Don't be vomit in the mouth of a holy God. Get up and walk. Be bold in this walk. Be careful in this walk. Be strong in this walk. But walk. Redeeming this time. Verse 16 again of our text. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. What does redeeming this time really mean for us? Well, this time is the focus of our life. This time is who we are. It's what we do. It's what we think and how we act. Redeem means to buy up, reclaim, take back. The prodigal son had indentured himself to someone else. He had to take back his life from the indenturement of a foreigner, from working in a pigsty to getting up and walking when his eyes were awoken to God. You rescue something that was lost. That lost time. That you can't get back the past. But you can take the time of the future. Rescue those future days. Rescue today in your time. Rescue it right now. You claim hold of that time and say, Satan, I will not give you another moment of my life. My life belongs to Jesus Christ. And this life will walk for Him. You will not have another moment. You may try, but I walk with God Almighty. You may shoot your darts at me, but I will be guarded because I will walk carefully. But you may not have another moment of my time. 
Say it to him. God is more powerful than Satan. Yes, you should fear the powers of darkness. But you've got God on your side. Don't fear to call out Him. God is with me. And He owns my time. Take it back. John Gill says of this redeeming of time. It denotes a careful and diligent use of it. An improvement of it to the best advantage. And it shows that it is valuable and precious. It is not to be trifled with and squandered away and be lost. Because it can never be recalled or prolonged. Time is precious. We are given but a few fleeting moments on this earth. How will we spend them? Will we spend them casting our money up into the air as the prodigal? Will we spend them living in a lascivious lifestyle? Will we spend them in a pigsty? Will you spend them living near the Father but not with the Father? How are you going to use this precious time? I tell you, take it back. Take it back now. Don't waste another moment because they are few. They are few. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, uh, chapter 4, yeah, Colossians chapter 4, he tells us, walk in wisdom, verse 5, walk in wisdom towards them that are without redeeming the time. Walk in wisdom, both to your church, to your children, but also to the outsiders, because you may be the spark. That ignites something in them. It may be the way that you act at school. It may be the way that you act at work. That causes them to either be interested in God. Or to say why would I want that. Walk in wisdom. Not just for yourself. But for a lost world. We are called to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. You are a flag bearer. Of the kingdom of heaven. Walk in wisdom. Towards the outsiders. Shame on us when we cause. Any form of spot or blemish. Upon the name of Jesus Christ. By claiming to be a Christian. And walking like the world. Walk with wisdom. To the outsiders. That doesn't just mean to be conniving. Or or be uh, witty with the outsiders. It means to walk in a way that shows them Jesus Christ. Walk in wisdom with them. Redeem the time that you have with a lost world. Be ready and willing to witness to a lost world. Don't waste your interactions with them. Let them be The first glimpse of God. Let you be to them that first glimpse of God in heaven. Yes, God opens the eyes. But He uses people to go about doing His work. You just may be what brings them into a church building. You may be what causes them to pick up a Bible. Redeem that time with them. Oh, the regrets I've had there. The missed opportunities I've had there. The shame I have brought on the name of Jesus Christ in walking with this world. So redeem your time with the world by being wise to the world by showing them Jesus Christ. But also your time first. Because if you haven't claimed your own time, you will not be wise with the world. You will not be wise with your wife. You will not be wise with your husband. And you will not be wise with your children unless you have first taken back your personal time with God. You must be active in determining what you do. Remember what I said a while ago? I can't make you get up and walk. Marvin and Brady can't make you get up and walk. You must move. You must be active in determining what you do with your time. This gets very, very practical. This isn't a complicated topic. 
There's a lot of practical things that we can do to take back our time. But what is important in deciding what is a must for us is realizing what is necessary for my spiritual walk. What is a must for me? Well, my first must must be my walk with God. We're, de- we're motivated and determined to do the things that we do out in the world and in our homes and with our time by what is a must for us, a priority. Is Christ truly my all in all? Is He truly yours? Are you all in for Him? Or do you have one foot in the world and one foot with Christ? Well, you have to look at yourself and you have to look inwardly to determine what is important to you. What do you hunger for? What is a must for you? Because the must is where you will spend your time. There is a way which seems right to man, but it is the end of death. Proverbs fourteen twelve. There is a way which seems right to us. What is right for your walk with God? What is a must for your walk with God? There's some practical things we can look at here. Are you so hurried in life that you have no time to relax and reflect with the Lord? Even Jesus taught the importance to the apostles that they needed time to be alone and to be quiet. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 32. He says, let us get away from here because they've been surrounded by crowds for days. He said, let's go to a quiet place and reflect. Well, the crowds followed him, but Jesus is still teaching them a very important lesson. You have to take time for your walk with God. Now, parents, that starts to get challenging. We're trying to teach our children, trying to keep the house going, trying to get the laundry going, get people's schoolwork done, go to work. Are you taking the time that you need to walk with God? Are you taking that time? There's practical things such as jobs. Is your job first over church? Job first over family? Job first over devotions? Job first over the Lord? Is it sports? Is basketball first over church? Is baseball first over church? I like to hike and I love to hunt. Sundays are a really good day to go hunting and hiking. Am I putting Christ first? Is He my desire? Now, none of those that I just listed are bad. In fact, those are good things. Sports are fun. Hunting's good. It feeds the family. Hiking is beautiful. You see God's creation. You can worship Him. Your job is important. You must feed your family. You're required in Scripture to do that. All of those are important. But are they the first in your heart? Are they the first thing in your heart? Well, sometimes we just waste our time worried about things that we can't even control. How many of us fall into that category? Most of us would probably raise our hand. We worry and worry and waste our time worrying when sometimes God's just calling you to walk in faith. Walk in faith. Now, is it hard? Absolutely. That's a really hard one to do. I'm a control person. I like to be in charge of lots of things. But God is teaching me to have faith and just walk and let God take care of the rest. Sometimes you just have to let go and let God, as that saying goes. Let go and let God. Let Him take it. You can't control it all. Are you wasting valuable time that you could have with the Lord by worrying over what He already has control of? I do. I have to work on it every day. Making the most of our time. Make the most of it. If you can't find time, Fight for it. Fight for your time. Reclaim it back. Even from things that may be good. What does that look like? You may have to say no to some good things so that you can say yes to the best things. That's a hard, hard thing to juggle there. Well, they're all good. All of these things are good. But what is best for my walk? What is best 
for my children? What is best for my family? What is best for my church? Sometimes we settle for good and we overlook best. Because good sometimes is just a little bit easier to do. So you have to fight for that time. You have to struggle for it. You're fighting all of the entertainments of the world. You're fighting the worries of the workplace. You're fighting the entertainments of the home. You're fighting joys in the home. You have to fight for that time. You have to make the time. You have to reclaim the time. No one else is going to do it for you in your home. Fathers, it starts with you in your home. And you do that with your wives because you too are together in this raising of your children. You're to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Sometimes you have to fight for the time to do that. But you also must fight for that time to do it for yourself. Even if that means making some sacrifices and saying no to some good things. I've got some very practical ones on this in my life. Who doesn't want to make you know, a better living, more money? I've had to turn down a couple of jobs at work simply because they would take me from home more. Career-wise, it's dumb for me to turn those down. They would skyrocket the career. But three weeks on the road and one week at home is no way to raise my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, some men have to travel a lot. That's just what you have to do. But I have a choice here. I'm choosing to stay home and not take those positions. Some people may have to take those positions. Your situation is for you to determine, but you determine it through the light and the lamp of this word. But I had to say no to a good position so that I could say yes to the best thing of being home with my family more. I can't, I can't leave eight kids at the house with my wife all the time. She can handle it. Sometimes I'm the ninth kid in the house, but I need to be helping her. And I need to be teaching them. And I need to be present for them. What about limiting your use of technology? That's everybody in here. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. There's not anybody in here that can say, not me. We all use technology in some way. And you know what? Technology's good. I'm using it right now. There's nothing wrong with technology. I have every John Gill and every Matthew Henry commentary on this. I don't have to carry my books around. It's great. I love technology. But I'm out abusing technology. How easy is it to scroll Facebook? Man, that finger just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. Before you know it, it's been going for an hour. Like, oh my word. Seriously? Shame on me. You know what? There's something practical you can do. Put a timer on it. You got smartphones. They all have some kind of timer. I don't know how to work it. I always hand it to my wife. Like, put this kind of timer on this and this kind of timer on that because I will mess it up. I'll lock myself out of my phone. Put a timer on Facebook. You can limit your use. 30 minutes a day, an hour a day, whatever it is you need. I'd say 30 minutes is better than an hour on it. But put a, a timer on it. Get practical in reclaiming your time. This is not some deep, deep, deep thing that you have to delve into and, and just dig and dig and dig. It's really, really practical stuff here on how to reclaim your time from the good things so you can say yes to the better things. Ask God for wisdom so that you can make the right choices with your time because that's what's hard when you get to the good and the best. Well, they both seem really good. Lord, what am I supposed to do? I don't want to lead my family down the wrong path. I don't want to take myself down the wrong path. What am I supposed to do? Well, he says in James chapter 1, verse 5, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Go ask God. Now, he's not always going to give you a billboard on the side of the road that says, This is good. This is best. But he gives you the lamp and the light of his word so that you can walk carefully with the Lord to determine what is good and what is best. I got very practical with this in, in our life. I call it the uh, calendar of life. You schedule time on your calendar. And now at work, I live by my calendar. 100% my calendar dictates my day to me at work. I know exactly what's happening at work. But for some reason, I come home and this brain turns off. That switch turns off and I don't know what is what, where anything goes or what to do. So I've had to start scheduling 
my calendar of life. And when you're doing this, I want you to ask yourself a question. Is it wise in view of my personal walk with God? What I'm about to take on, is it wise in view of my personal walk with God? So I want to give you my failure example, confession from the stand time here. Uh, Our family devotions and my personal devotions have not always been great. If that comes as a shock to you, it probably shouldn't because a lot of people struggle with that one. But what I started to find was that the more I let my personal devotion slip, the more I turned this into an academic exercise instead of a spiritual exercise, the more I realized that it went out to every aspect of my family. And I told you all my struggles last night, the things that I struggle with, and those caused me to shut down with the family, to push the family away. And in doing that, it also caused me to push the word of God away. I stopped using my time to follow him, and I started using it to worry. And as my personal devotions began to slip, I noticed that our family devotions became non-existent. They just weren't there anymore. And then I looked around, and I realized that I had teenagers in my home. I had preteens in my home. I have every age group in my home. And when those men at Mighty Oaks woke me up and said, you forgot about your anchor. You are not a ship adrift. You have an anchor, and he will hold you firm. I was flooded with guilt as I should have been. I should have been. I had failed my family. I had lost a good year of time with my family. Now in the past, I had tried to do devotions. always tried to do devotions, but when I was early in my preaching career, those devotions ended up being hour-long sermons at bedtime. And my wife's like, buddy, that's not happening anymore. You can't preach an hour at bedtime. Well, then I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to read them what I'm reading. I'm going to tell you, I love Charles Spurgeon. Absolutely, but my two-year-old has no clue what Charles Spurgeon is saying. So I have fumbled through this life of family devotions, let me tell you. Until I finally found these great books by Marty Murkowski, I believe his name, called Theology. It's a play on the word theology. If you don't have that and you've got kids, buy that book. That has been the best devotion book ever. But even as good as that was... I just couldn't seem to ever get our devotions right. We bedtime, morning, whatever. I'd try whatever time. Nothing ever worked. So my option is to get frustrated, put the book back on the shelf, and walk away again. Thank God for a godly wife again. She said, "Hun, when is the one time that you had the whole family together? Supper table. You have to sit at our table and eat. You don't get your phone, and you have to sit at the supper table. That is like sacred space to us, that supper table. They're always there, and they don't have a phone. I've got a captive audience. She's like, put the book on the table. So now we have noticed that as we're eating and as people start to squirm, Cameron or I one will grab that book. It takes literally four or five minutes to read at most. And then just ask some questions. My children have gained so much more from that four or five minute devotion with a couple of questions than they ever learned from any of my sermons, even my current sermons, or from whatever read to Charles Spurgeon. Those four or five minutes with my children are precious time that I had lost. Now, my kids hold my feet to the fire. So you got to get up and start walking, but your family can help you in that. Hold each other's feet to the fire. Church, hold each other's feet to the fire. That's what we should be doing. So now if I try to excuse them from the table, which is the one thing I got right, you don't get up from that supper table unless dad says you're excused. And they stick to that pretty good. But if I say you're excused and we haven't read devotions, one of those kids would say, no, we haven't read our devotions yet. I'm like, thank you for holding my feet to the fire. That's just very practical. That's a real life experience for me that I failed my family on. But now I'm reclaiming that time. I am taking back the time with my children. I am taking back the time with my family. And I realized I need to take back my own time. My only option was just get up earlier in the morning. 
Because I'm not a night person. My brain turns off at like 9.30. I'm just dumb as a box of rocks when 9.30 comes around. So I had to start getting up earlier. And I've got some early rising little kids. I had to get up earlier than them. Earlier than I wanted to. But it was important to my walk with God. I had to say no to the good thing of sleeping in another hour and say yes to the best thing of getting up an hour earlier so I could have an hour with the Lord each morning. And man, is my soul fed. Do I feel encouraged going into that day? But the days that I sleep in, the days that I miss it, I am fighting every battle and failing. I'm tripping and falling into every trap because I didn't start my day off guarded. I started my day off with the worries of the world instead of starting my day off with God. Take time to be with God. Take personal time, each and every individual in here, for you to walk with God. Then I realized I've got these teenagers. And here, I've got another confession. The past two, maybe three weeks, Elena, I have failed at this one. So I have Ty and Elena listen to the briefing by Albert Moeller every day. They get to count it as current credits for school. And every Tuesday and Thursday at 8 o'clock, I have an alarm on my phone, and it goes off. It's Ty and Elena time. And our goal is to talk about every Tuesday and Thursday current world events from a biblical viewpoint based on Al Moeller's briefing. I haven't done it in a few weeks, Elena. We'll start back Monday. Well, then I've got a preteen and a teenage boy. And I realize they are at such an influential age. Man, do I remember being 13, 11. That is a scary time for young men. And I remember reading a book called Thoughts for Young Men by J.C. Ryle. One of the most influential books in my life to this day. I've read it multiple times now. Because even as a not young man, I still have to go back and remember I did, went through this book with Ty. So now every Monday and Wednesday, Teddy, Liam, and I, at 8 o'clock, that timer goes off. There's the calendar of life. It's in my calendar. My phone will beep, and it'll say, Teddy and Liam time. We get that book. You know what? There's been days that we have literally read one paragraph, and then we've talked about it for 40-something minutes, and it gets deep. Those boys ask some questions. And when they started asking questions, I realized I had lost some very, very valuable time with my boys some very influential time with my boys. But I'm reclaiming it. I'm taking it back. I'm up here admitting failures because you know what? You're going to falter. You're going to have those days. You're going to have times when you don't want to get up and do your devotions. You're going to have time when the family devotions get on your nerves. Reclaim that time. Take it back. But when you do stumble and fall, get back up and start walking back up those steps running back to the Father, clean yourself off, and get back into the grind. You're in this for the long haul. Until God calls you home, daily reclaim your time. Why is this so important? Because we read in verse 16, the days are evil. I shudder to think at the things that are out there today. You know, every generation has said, this has got to be it. This is the last days. Every generation has thought that. You know, it would probably get worse than it is right now, as hard as that is to believe. It can get worse. I shudder at the thought of what my children and grandchildren are going to have to live through. The immorality of this country. How we have not just disregarded God, but we actively reject God in this country. We're actively fighting against God in this country. The powers of the darkness of this air have control of this country. But it's for you to reclaim. And it starts in your home. It starts in your home and it flows into your churches. If you're dead in the home, you're going to be dead in your church. If you're dead in your church, you're going to be dead in your community. If that community's dead, your state's dead, and this country's gone, it starts with you and your home. Get up and walk. Get up and reclaim that time. Let the world see Christ in you. America is not too far gone for the mighty hand of God. No one is. I often say that America's done for. It's gone. It's not. God can change the darkest of hearts because He changed mine and He changed yours. No one in Congress is beyond the reach of an almighty God. Are we praying for them? Or are we making fun of old Joe? 
Pray for Joe. Pray for Nancy. Pray for Chuck Schumer. They are not too far gone for the mighty hand of God. No one is. But if we aren't reclaiming our own time, and if we're not praying for this world, praying for this country, and praying for our own homes, why would God want to move in a lukewarm society, in a lukewarm church, from a lukewarm home? He will spew you out of His mouth. These days are evil. We have a common enemy that we have all been fighting and we will all continue to face. From the beginning of the fall of man, this enemy has been prowling this earth, seeking to destroy the light of Jesus Christ. And although he thinks he has won over and over and over, I tell you, he has no victory. Christ Jesus won the victory on the cross. Satan is defeated and he knows it. And a trapped enemy is a dangerous enemy. He knows he's lost the war, but he wants to win some battles and he wants to win them right here in this church at Fellowship. He knows he's lost. He knows he's cornered and he is scared and he is angry and he wants you. He is a lion prowling around seeking whom he may devour. He's not seeking at the door of the world. He's seeking at the door of the church and at the door of your home. He wants you. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We are fighting a spiritual battle. A spiritual battle. So you must be cautious in how you walk in this life. Making the best use of your time and this aspect of putting on the armor of God. I told some of you at the men's meeting that I have to get up in the mornings and verbally put on the armor of God. That's what each and every one of us needs to be doing. Because when you are not armored up, you are vulnerable. And Satan knows it. He knows when you walk out of your door without your armor on. So when I get up, I say, good morning, Lord. Thank you for this day. And then I get up and as I'm getting physically dressed, I verbally put on that armor of God because I know that I need it. I need it. I fall prey to Satan's darts and every trap when I don't armor myself up. We're not wrestling with the world. We're wrestling with the powers of darkness of the world. Wherefore, take you up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore. Stand therefore because you're at war. Stand therefore and with your, your loins girt about with the truth and having the breastplate of righteousness and your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking that shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, remembering to pray always. Name them out. Call them out. And above all, that shield of faith, because if you are not walking in this life in faith, if you're just walking with a, a helmet of knowledge but no shield of faith, if you're walking with just a breastplate of righteousness, but no shield of faith, truly believing that God will carry you through, those darts begin to pierce. They find the crevices in your armor. And when you aren't up for putting on your armor, you call someone. You call a brother. You call a sister. You say, I don't want to put on this breastplate today. It's heavy. And you, church... You, church, help each other walk. You help each other armor up. You help each other. Husbands and wives, help each other put on your armor. Help your children put on their armor. Help your pastors put on their armor. Because they need their armor too. We all need this armor. 
So be sober. As 1 Peter 5, 8-9 says, Be sober, serious of spirit. Be vigilant or on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith. You're not resisting the devil because you are strong enough. You're not resisting the devil because you are good enough. You're not resisting the devil because you are wise enough. You're resisting him because you are firm in your faith. Back to Colossians. The way that you woke in Christ is the way that you walk in him. And that is your faith. And that is how you resist the devil. So devil, I didn't waken myself up. God did. And he walks with me today. And I will stand firm in that faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. You are not alone. You are not alone in this walk of faith. And you're not the only one that needs to reclaim their time. Paul instructed Timothy very practically in his ministry in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 14 through 23. He tells Timothy in verse 14 that you need to remember and put back into the congregation's memory the things of God. That's practical, Timothy. You need to remember what I taught you and you yourself need to study and you need to put it into the congregation's mind. Timothy, that's going to take time. Are you fighting for your time? Verse 15, study, Timothy, to show yourself approved. Show that you can rightly interpret the scripture. Timothy, that's going to take some time to study. It takes a lot of time. Timothy, are you prioritizing your time to study God's word? Verse 16, shun, avoid, turn away from the presence of. Because that leads to decay and destruction. Intentionally avoiding what is destructive. Timothy, are you shunning and turning away for what is a waste of your time? Verse 22, he says, flee and follow. Those are practical, Timothy. Run away from what is evil and follow what is good. That takes action. It takes determination, Timothy. 23, avoid. Timothy, be on guard. Church, get practical in reclaiming your time. Knowing what God's will is for you. Live cautiously. Take back that time from the world. Reclaim it. Be wise in God's wisdom. Not the wisdom of this world. Understand and know that God's will in this life is for you to walk with Him. And for that reason it says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 14. Awake you that sleeps. Arise from the dead and Christ will shine upon you. Let's pray. God, we ask today that you forgive us for our wasted time. I know that in this room we all have regrets. We all have shameful moments where we have squandered precious time. But Lord, 